inf- it's not the really big community in Islam, but it's very influential. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I would say it's very influential. Um, a lot of people don't know that a lot of Bollywood music is influenced by Sufi uh, traditions and Sufi form of poetry. Hello. Hey, how are you? Welcome to episode 10 of Peak Performance. Uh, today, my very good guest is Ajil. How's it going, mate? How's it going, Harry? It's good to finally talk to you, man. Yeah, I must apologise, actually, that um, you're a fan of the podcast. And a couple of weeks ago, uh, I had uh, overbooked you. I'd totally forgotten to, to have you on. And you were like, you messaged me like... Uh, and we're good to go. And I was like, oh, uh, so now <laughs> we're doing it like semi-spontaneously this afternoon, which... Uh... Yeah. yeah, I know. I thought, I, thought it, it, I thought it was better to not plan anything and just get it done because otherwise it's always things coming our way. And I don't know, I'm a bit um, unorganized myself. So this was the best way we could go. But yeah, man, glad we're talking now. This is... Um... And... It's been interesting um, listening to yourself. A couple of my um, best friends will know that this is actually an episode I've been really looking forward to do, Ajil. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, bro, seriously. Bro, bro, honestly, like I've listened to some of the people you've interviewed and I think I'm probably the most generalist person. Like, So I'm not expert on anything. So I'm happy to share my thoughts and talk about things that we we started talking about and I don't know man let's just be curious I guess about each other yeah I think people I don't know about you but I talk to interesting people all the time and especially different generations like gen x people as well as like old old people have really interesting things to say about like what food used to be like or like what dating used to be like like different things and and when I message people to go on the podcast, they say to me, oh, Harry, I would love to go on the podcast, but I'm not very interesting. And it's like, well, everyone's interesting, right? Yep. I don't think there's like a single person who's who's so intensely boring that you can um, talk to them about like, you know, like their life or their upbringing. Like, even if it was just somebody that didn't want to talk about themselves you could still talk to them about like their hometown or like what they know about um space exploration like there's so much that you can talk to people about that i think people i think it's like a a confidence thing that some people need to yeah like we're gonna um break into some really cool stuff in this episode um yeah i think it's it's um important to know that at the end of at the end of the day which is sharing um because like me myself there's always that little bit of anxiety of um being put on the spot and being asked to share things that you might think that you don't fully know or things that you know but you don't really know what to share it's it's a bit um difficult for a lot of people because because of the way people perceive um podcasting to be such a show business mm. uh, so they feel like they need to be Uh, show business friendly and the content has to be like I don't know you need to have an animated voice like I've always like had that in my mind at some point but yeah I've yeah I have interesting um, things to share I hope I when I was making the podcast I just wanted help I just needed like uh help getting started with the technical stuff um But then there were like loads of, I'm sure you can imagine, there were like loads of American men doing like YouTube tutorials on like, hey, bro, what's your brand? What's your, <laughs> what's your, what's your style going to be? Are you going to talk about cars? Are you going to talk about 
fitness and well-being. And it's like, no, we're just going to vibe. We're just going to talk about, yeah, like, whatever's cool. It's not, I don't think, yeah, like, the more you vex it and sort of, like you said, it's good to be spontaneous. The more yeah, exactly. you just dive into it, um, I think the only stuff I wouldn't be off-piste about would probably be, you know, like, super controversial stuff. Those will be, like, more scripted, like, 99% of the stuff on the podcast will just be um I've just recorded an episode actually uh talking to a friend of mine from Twitter he's like just a friend um through Twitter at the moment about like politics and communism and stuff um so hopefully I'll have probably um both of these episodes up this week um so that'll be interesting. I'll, uh, I'll send that to you and you can let me know what you think about that. That's like talking yeah, about, yeah. Talking nice about um, like the economy and stuff. So how did we meet, Ajil? That's a fun story, isn't it? <laughs> how do we meet? Okay. Um, do, do you want to go? I think it's it's better you describe how we met. <laughs> we, we met through... Well, who did we know in common? Because I was going to a party. I think it was your, yeah, one of your roommates was uh, common friends with me. And then I got invited to a random house party. And I think I was sat by the couch when, um, yeah, we just got talking, I guess, because we're like one of those people that gave up on um, being like the most interesting person in the room and just like couched in. And then we had an interesting conversation. I think you, I remember you coming up to me and be like, hey, man, are you from the Middle East? <laughs> I was like... <laughs> <laughs> That's just... Makes it look like, like straight I'm... up, straight up, bro, you started having, like, conversations about the Middle East. And I'm like, who is this guy? How does he know so much? <laughs> I, um, yeah, no, I was at a party right before the coronavirus. And it was, like, a really yeah. big party. And uh, I was, there was, like, a a queue for the toilet um because yeah. you know there's always like like seems to be like big like women's queues for toilets at parties for some reason yeah and so me and this guy are in the queue um this african guy and i was like <laughs> i was really um i was really wasted and i was like oh where are you from man and he was like oh um sudan and i was like oh like um South Sudan or not? And he's like, no, like, like Sudan, Sudan. And I was like, oh, Khartoum. And he looked at me like, he was like, yeah. And then I started talking to him like about the Sudan, and he was like really weirded out that um I was getting really into uh, yeah. like I pulled up the Wikipedia page before we um started speaking, so that was funny. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's I've what I've noticed is that. People in England, especially if you're not from England, always you always put on a type of persona to fit in because you think you're not culturally um, blended in yet. So when an English person asks you questions that you don't assume them to know about your own, because mm. that's the whole stereotype that, you know, pe- um, English people are ignorant or, or the West is... Um, ignorant of a lot of cultural norms or whatever in this part of the world but yeah it's always nice to like have this conversation and like let go of yourself and your own inhibitions about your identity um which is interesting i think um i think partly the thing with english people is that we speak english Mm -hmm. no i speak english too yeah, I know. I know we're talking English, bro. <laughs> That's probably the the first hot take from a deal. No, what what I mean is that like English is my first language and I've yeah. never if I go to like if I go to Vietnam or if I go to like Sweden yeah. quite a lot quite a lot of young people will speak English. So I think that makes people lazy about having to like learn other languages yep same um same situation here all the gulf kids um <laughs> all they speak is english and then their mother tongue but then 
like a lot of a lot of kids that grew up here including myself we struggle with understanding what exactly is your most comfortable language because at least for me like i'd like to think that um, if you think in a language then that is your like preferred language mm. so i think in english um and i've always known to think in english um but at the same time you're not a native speaker so you're not fully fully like 100% there but you're there but you're also not anywhere with your own language <laughs> so yeah if you want to talk about identity issues about gcc expat kids that's a really good topic by the way because that's something real that's something like a lot of issues you can relate to it yeah should we come back to this is really evidence of the um spontaneity of the of our um podcast <laughs> if we squish that in yeah. the middle so you're yeah, sure. from the the gulf right mm-hmm. you say do people say the gulf because um i don't know what the view is in the gulf but in like when i read um stuff about the gulf sometimes they say persian gulf and sometimes they say arabian gulf is that awkward uh, so when people say the Persian Gulf, that includes Iran as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but like in business terms, at least um, from my own experience working, we always made sure that we referred to the Gulf as the Arab Gulf. Um, Persian Gulf is more popular; it's more common. But then, when we talk to people and try to like give them a specific, um, specific. Like just be, to be more specific, it's the Arab Gulf, basically all the GCC states. Um, that's the Arab Gulf. I was thinking we, yeah, so we can squish Gulf living in the second half, along with like general cultural stuff. And um, I don't know about you, it's actually really sunny outside in England today. Um, it's like the sun's setting here, <laughs> so it's like um, the golden hour but yeah we get a lot of sun um, yeah i did see pictures of people in brighton it looks so nice i was thinking so we first started talking about your university dissertation and then we'll possibly mm-hmm. use that just as a like a small vehicle to talk about um islam because i find islam really interesting yeah um Tell the good people about your dissertation. You went out and spoke to people, right, in the desert? In the desert? Yeah, I thought they were... It was on the Arabian Peninsula, right? Yeah, yeah. But, like, fairly inland. Yeah, but uh, you're referring to my dissertation. Like, uh, are you talking about the, the Sufi musician? the story about him because that was my dissertation yeah yeah and then i never did anything about oh interviewing i did like a little short film on um, people who lived between the mountains um like it was a place in russell fema in in the uae uh, but is that what you're talking about? Because I don't remember sharing. I don't know if I, we talked about that or you just... Yeah, so you sent me... <laughs> I'm blurring together two things here. You, okay. s- you sent me a, th- a thing where there was like two dudes sitting out the front of their house. Yes, yes. Okay, yeah. Okay. All right, you, you want to go back to your question um, that start off so I could... <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> just t- t- like it's very open plan to tell the good people about um what you wanted to achieve with your dissertation and what it was about your dissertation on this did you know this guy um so i think one, one of my friends uh, one of my argentinian friends augustine uh, me and him were hanging out and I was really struggling with an idea for my final project at Sussex. And um, I think he mentioned a musician that he's seen by the seafront um, like every other day. And he really liked his vibe and really liked what he was putting out. And 
yeah, he showed me him. We hung around him for a bit and then got talking to him. Um, he was a Senegalese um, West African. He is a Senegalese West African um, Sufi musician. That's He's been around in Brighton and between London and Brighton for the past, I think, almost over a decade. So, yeah, it was interesting to meet him. He was such a lovely man. Um, we started observing him for a bit and then yeah that, so it was basically the story involves Kadim okay who is um, the Sufi musician and the story is about just basically following Kadim's life and him sharing his whole journey through England um, and all his struggles all his uh, experiences whatever he felt so and being homeless from being homeless being lost to finding people within the community and his whole um, experience as a musician that's basically that's basically it and then the interesting thing about Kadim is obviously the Sufi aspect to him um, so that's one of the things that interested me because I'm, I'm a Muslim myself so me myself I've never experienced um, or met anyone from this side of Islam or you could say this subsect of people um, that have like common beliefs with me um, that was interesting and the fact that he was into music and he had issues um, um, identifying himself as a musician but at the same time being spiritual and then he finally found himself by accepting his spirituality and his um, his innate need to be a musician so I think England um, helped him find that and he tells me that throughout the film like how he found himself and how he's proud to be either so his band Baklam Fall is like a complete reflection of what he sort of believes in which is um, which is being together which is taking care of one another and yeah man the Baklam Fall community basically um, it was such a privilege to meet them because they they have a set of values which are very simple straight to the point um, and it's yeah it just made more um, sense to have the story of a character like him. Um, I don't know if you've seen him around, but it's, yeah, very interesting stuff. How, how long is it? How was it like, so what format did you? Um... So it's a 20 minute short, um, it's a 20 minute short documentary. It's, it's like an observational piece. Um, basically it's not the most um, fast cut, exciting, film out there but it's more of an observation of his life so I didn't involve myself in any way except just following him with a camera uh, for throughout three to four months that I was with him um, yeah is that something that you want to do in the future I think it is uh, but also now I'm at a point in life where I'm trying to be realistic with myself because it wasn't always easy, obviously, to be a documentary filmmaker and then also make a decent living out of it. So one of the struggles I've had now is accepting that I would have to do this as a side gig um, and then find a way of making enough money to kind of keep going, you know? Mm, it's very it's a bit like reality check, but... Yeah, I've had people tell me this as well while I was studying documentary films. Like, I'm 29 years old, and I only took this up at the age of, I don't know, 27, like, when I was ending 27, when I already started a career and started working and had a thing going on, you know, that was a direction expected and whatnot. Take a big step, and then halfway through, I'm like, am I doing this right? Am I even in it for a reason? And... Yeah, man, but now it all makes sense. It all makes sense now. The creative arts are quite hard to live off, right? Exactly. Like people who do art degrees. Yeah, it's not, I don't think it's hard to live off. I think it's more about how much you think you want it. Because people who really want it get it and they, they make a decent living out of being a creative person uh i i think personally i i want it but i don't think i want it that much yet you know what i mean to get that like 
burning desire to 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 do something um i think that's a struggle for some creative people or people who think they're creative like myself so did you have to do your own research about sufi islam as you as you went along yeah um as i went along i got to know about what they're about and how different they are from mainstream muslims and then he uh, shared a lot about his um, his beliefs and whatnot and i could see it like very evident with his uh, persona like he carries a carries it with himself um, unlike a lot of people that don't really carry their uh, beliefs or faith or whatever like in in terms of appearance so you could tell that he's from his community by just the way he's dressed because they were always in their um, cultural attire um, yeah they're called the bifal like i'm trying to think of where to start describing them but there's a lot man um so they're called the Baifal sect of Sufism in West Africa, right? And um, they are part of a, um, a group of people that believe in, that hard work is what matters more than anything else. Um, like he has a lot of his songs talk about being lazy. Uh, like he has a whole song that is just to lazy people. Like that's his writing <laughs> direction. Like, um so his whole, uh, the Baifal sect, um, their beliefs are like, people mistake them for being Rastafarians because there's a lot of like um, relatable in terms of appearance, in terms of like their persona, how they, how they talk and how they look at life. But also they are very much Islamic. Then um, a lot of like, he was more uh, Muslim than me, um, which was interesting because I am part of the mainstream Muslim uh, moderate uh, whatever crowd that is out there uh, that you normally get to meet if you travel down to this side of the world the Gulf Sunni. Yeah. yeah the Sunni m- Muslims um, are you yeah. it's you're in it's Ramadan uh-huh. are you fasting today no I'm not <laughs> no <laughs> really no I'm not bro no, bro. This uh, to be to be really honest, this Ramadan has been probably the uh, least productive for me in terms of like taking care of my health. Uh, but now I have I haven't fasted the whole month. Like I'd rather I'd rather be honest than pretend. I haven't fasted the whole month. Um, last year was good though. Last year was productive. Like I had a whole month of like a proper detox. I fasted. Um, worked out all of that but then lately I don't know why but I find it interesting that a lot of people can relate um, that they're not just feeling they just don't feel like fasting I don't know if it's a pandemic thing but it's just like you're a bit exhausted I think I've been exhausted from work so Mm. I'm just looking for comfort like instant comfort (laughs) so it's not really that hard to be honest like I, even though I don't fast, the only thing that keeps me from not fasting is the fact that I'll, I'll smoke during work. Um, and I'll probably have a few sips of water right before I wake up. And then like, not even enough, I'd still be like dehydrated and stuff. So I'm just being, a, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just not doing it. I Have you fasted before? I've done, um, like intermittent fasting yeah so that's where you do 12 i've got this right 16 hours so you like you don't eat for 16 hours and then you eat for eight hours in the afternoon evening in the evening so i don't know if it's 16 hours but let's say you you start fasting from 4 a.m or 4 45 a.m uh, depending on the sunrise, uh, it's always between four and five thirty um, that you start fasting, and then you break your fast in the evening around six p.m. around six forty-five or seven. But the time keeps like moving back and forward. Um, 
throughout the month. But yeah, that's that's um, that's how you do it. I think there was a so there's a lot of skyscrapers in um, the Gulf, right? Yeah, I sure. think they had to like come up with a fatwa for like generalizing what time sunset was because like de- some of these towers are so tall that okay. if you're on the top floor, the sunset is a different minute to if you're on the bottom floor. What? <laughs> wow. So yeah, so if you think about it, like <laughs> Are you sure it was a fatwa or was it a meme? Oh <laughs> uh, I think now you're questioning me. I'm I'm like eighty percent sure that they had a fatwa that said Okay. I like I would know because this would be such news here. It would be all over social media if this was the case, but I have never heard of it. You've never had that. Does it make sense no. though, that if you're on the top floor of like a really tall building? Yeah. The sunset would you would see it on the horizon at a different time. Mm, I think it could be true if it was really high. Um but you would still know it's the sun setting. Bro, I'm gonna sound like we're gonna sound like two dumb people who have no idea about and then we're gonna be flat earthers in a minute. <laughs> they work. <laughs> but yeah, I'm I'm assuming it should be the same, bro. It should be like how f- it's sunset. So just you just that's just an indication of the sun setting. Um but you know, when it comes to the timing, um what people don't get it is that there is an exact timing, but then for people who don't have watches or whatever, like it is just a time that you decide to break your fast. So the, it's like an indication. Okay. The sun sets, this is when you end it. So it's more, I could look at the sun and break my fast based on what I just understand from the sun setting. Um, so it's not that deep, like even with, um, even before you break your fast, um, you wait for the call to prayer, right? In the morning. Mm. Um, so that is, that is literally um, the time when the sun just rises. Um, that's when the call to prayer is. And um, you're meant to pray, uh, ideally between um, a period called, the, um, I can't remember the name, Shuruk, I think Shuruk, which, which is like the little timeline. Uh, little, it's, like, it's like the little time between full sunrise and the sun rising so you're advised to pray then but when you break your fast or when you um keep your fast in the morning uh 4 a.m you just make the intention when you know the sun is about to rise and then you and then you intend to fast so people can miss few minutes five minutes ten minutes um if you sleep and you wake up and then you realize that shit okay i've missed the time to open my fast then then you make the intention and then just continue. Um, yeah, that's that's how it works. So it's not really that hard um, for people to do it. But yeah, some people are very like hell bent on doing it on the dot. Like people will go crazy if you, you fast, you break your fast a minute earlier and be like, hey man, it didn't go off. Why are you breaking your fast? <laughs> you hear all sorts of that. But yeah, it's an interesting time, Ramadan, honestly. Like, I wish you were here to experience it. Oh, I'll, I'll have to um, visit. Yeah, you should, honestly, Harry. You have a lot of questions that that you can, I don't know, get have answered when you come down here. Um, so I saw a thing on Twitter. This is another thing that may or may not be a thing. There's a whole bunch of places, mainly in North Africa, that start with Sidi. Okay. Like the word Sidi is like in the name of the place. Um, like S-I-D-I? Yeah. And if okay. you look it up on Wikipedia, it and it means it can mean saint. So and, yeah, it's like it's like a der- derivative from of the Arabic word Sayyid. Sayyid. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it is, if I'm not wrong. But Um, Saint. And Twitter was saying that these were places that were 
founded by Sufi communities because there are saints in Sufism, right? Yeah. A inf- it's not the really big community in Islam, but it's very influential. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I would say it's very influential. Um, a lot of people don't know that a lot of Bollywood music is influenced by Sufi uh, traditions and Sufi form of poetry. Really? Or just, yeah, yeah. Um, I think some of the best Bollywood producers or producers from India, music pro- producers from India have, have um, Sufism in them as a form of them being Sufi or as being students who try to explore because um, Sufism is big in India. There's a large community. I think it's one of the biggest communities. It would be India and Pakistan. Um, but that's more of the common Sufi. Like within Sufism, there is people like Kadib um, from West Africa and Senegal um, that have no clue about the Sufism present in India or Pakistan or South Asia in general. And then you have the Turkish Sufis who are very different from either of them um but they all somehow blend together because they've got the same vibe (laughs) i'm just trying to put it in simple words they got the same vibe (laughs) so they have the same like um culture culture and and persona you would say they're like they're like stoner muslims but they're not really stoners smoke weed but they're just like <laughs> they've managed to put themselves in a state of trance in different ways um it's kind of like so your, they, yeah it's like your own personal way of finding god right is that um you mean sufism yeah yeah that's yeah. one of the aspects i would say yeah it's it's a more personal more warmer way of it's not uh, it's not politicized there's no polit- politics to it, which would be one of the main like differing like factors of Sunni Islam and mainstream Islam or Shiism or any of the other major uh, popular sects. Uh, Sufism is more on the um, on your personal relationship to God and to I don't know. There's a lot of music and there's a lot of like dancing, um, right? Spinning. Yeah, which I wouldn't call it dance, but it's more of them doing repetitive movements to kind of be one with God. So that's why you see a lot of these Turkish um, Sufis when they do the spin. Um, It's interesting. They do the spin almost as accurately as a ballet dancer on just a single toe without like being in the same spot with a, with their with their with a single toe i think so it almost looks like they're ele- elevating it doesn't look like they're on the floor and it's such a beautiful sight to see but i um but i remember thinking about it and looking it up and um that's how they get to that state of trance it's like anything repetitive can get you in a state of trance as they say um like breathing or dance or any form of movement that is symmetric i would say that has symmetry or yes uh, i've noticed with some of the famous mosques including possibly the dome of the rock that the al-aqsa mosque that there's like really good geometry like really good maths going on in the shapes yeah so there's obviously not like yeah it's beautiful there's not like pictures of people or like um, pictures. If you go into a Catholic church, there's like a picture of Jesus, a picture of Mary, um, lots of um, like basically icons. But yeah. in a mosque, it's like a very big emphasis on. Uh, I mean, I yeah. suck at, I I suck think, at I think, mass, but. I, yeah, I, I think it's common in all. Um, religious temples or like like churches temples mosques like what i think is they all have a certain geometry to them i don't know following the um the fibonacci sequence or whatever it is but i think that um actually makes a difference in the way um energy um 
is absorbed by a material form. And that's why a lot of the tips of churches and um, the uh, mosque structures and the temples all, all have like a pointed tip, which might sound like such a dumb way of putting it, but I'm not probably saying it in the most technical way because um, <laughs> I'm such a generalist, but I, I certainly think that there is, a, there is a pattern that religious structures follow as opposed to, I don't know, others. You're saying it's almost like a divine geometry. Yeah, I think geometry is divine. Like we figured a lot of energy, um, um, how energy works only through geometry, right? And that makes a lot of difference in the way why we like, as human beings, we like symmetry is because it makes sense to us. Uh, our biological um, existence is based on that. That's Have probably you... why people look at people with asymmetric faces and like think they're attractive. Think they're attractive. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, the uh, yesterday just just to go a little bit towards that, and you can probably edit it later. <laughs> yesterday, um, two of my friends, like the one of them was randomly like talking to me at work, and they were, she was just like shit did you see this person isn't he so ugly and i was like ugly is not even a word like what are you talking about like how can you even picture a person to be ugly because i think people who think people are ugly um have an ugly ugly persona or there's an ugly part of them that they need to fix uh, but i was trying to explain this and we had like the longest argument and i was like okay you know what i accept that asymmetric faces are attractive to look at but um it's not the word is not ugly. It's just, you're just symmetric. You're just more symmetric than me, or you're just well-shaped than me in the way people perceive beauty is. I think that's quite nice. That's quite wholesome. Yeah. Um, have you ever seen any documentaries about the pyramids? Um, yeah. Yeah, I'd like to think. The... I think. Did you share? Did you share something recently? I'm trying to think if it was through you that I watched or Possibly. I think I've watched uh, a bit of the Netflix documentary about the pyramids. Um, the one where they go and explore um, the families and like trace back to the families of the mummies that were never discovered. Um, so the new discovered mummies, it was interesting. Yeah, we don't really... Yeah, so, like, there's a whole bunch of places in Egypt where the sun sets on, like, the summer equinox. Like, on the longest day in Egypt, the sun will set. If you're standing, like, in a straight line facing north, the sun will set in between big pillars and stuff, which I think is quite cool. You also have that with, um, you know, Stonehenge. Yeah. Um, Stonehenge that if you stand like amongst the stones the sun sets in the middle of summer like perfectly they'd obviously made the stones um, like around sunsets which is quite cool um, yeah it's super cool I wish I could find time to like make a visit there but I never got around to going there so have you been there? Uh, no, I'd like to. Um, I know a girl who I know a white girl who lives in um, Cairo. She got me a really good book actually, because obviously, like in um, outside of the West, have you've been in water stains before, right? No, what, 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 what I think, oh, yeah, I think I've, I've passed. The nice thing about um, like bookshops, bookstores outside of the West is that they are less exposed to like globalization, Ajil, so that there's more like independent bookshops, right? Like little niche, you know, like this little old dude and his family have run the bookshop for like 500 years sort of thing. Oh, I get it. Yeah. So and... they have books that probably are catching dust in modern bookshops 
That's yeah, well, because if you go into like any Waterstones, they will just have like all the best sellers, like all the London authors, the New York books. Yeah. Um, and their purpose is just to make like big amounts of money. Whereas if you go in like little independent bookshops, they tend to have hoarded like really obscure books. And she yeah. she went in, this is when I was living with her, she went into this bookshop um, in Cairo and found this book. It was on, um, it was a history book. I think it was History of Egypt. And it was written by an English guy who was living in Egypt um before world war one so that was nice because it was like um that's so cool it's useful for historiography which basically is like it's kind of like how storytelling changes over time so we can have a view on a history event now and then in a different like country or a different time period they will have a different spin on the same thing. Yeah. So when this guy is telling the history of Egypt, obviously he doesn't know that like um, NASA or Sadat or like any of those big Egyptian leaders will be a thing. He doesn't know like about World War One or World War Two. He's just writing like from this like very old fashioned point of view. Um, about the same sorts of. Did he, did he write it like a long time ago, or was it recent? It's like, yeah, yeah, it's like a really old book, so probably in the fifties or whatever. Yeah, he wrote it like over a hundred years ago, I think. Over a hundred years ago. Wow, okay. Um, and she found this book, so that was very cool. Um, I think that's nice that you can get. Um, I don't know if you know this about um. Tesco in the UK but they do this really bad practice with food where they throw away fruit that I know we were talking about um, symmetry just now and like things which are aesthetic they throw away um, apples which don't look normal (laughs) it's like they're perfectly edible but they will throw like the waist section if they don't look really red or like really spherical yeah which i think is a bit <laughs> bit peak because obviously it's like that's edible yep i, I really think care. i've done that um like i work in a production company so we've, we have food shoots where we've turned down ugly fruits away and felt bad looking at them because they just they just not included in the food shoot <laughs> And I remember like joking about it with people and it's like, that's not, so not fair. Like, cause a bell pepper could look anyway and it's still a bell pepper, but I get you, I get what you mean. If it's uh, tasty, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we were talking um, about moving on to the Gulf if we've wrapped up um, Sufism. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're over halfway into the um, episode and we have so much to talk about, Adil. I know, um, bro. We honestly don't know where to go. and it's I think like- it depends on what we're most curious about. Like, let's just put it that way. Like, what do you really want to know or ask or I think us to share? unfortunate that some I know you say there's like loads of British people that uh, live and move to the Gulf Yeah. Um, but I think it's unfortunate that lots of other people will only go through the Gulf when they're like going on holiday to Australia or like Thailand they will because it's a nice place in geography right for if you're going from like Western Europe yeah, to East yeah. Asia, it's in the middle. It's always a passing place, yeah. It's always mm. a transit place, Dubai. 
it's like people will go there and then just hang out in the airport for three hours and like get a donut yeah. and some pizza, but not actually go out and see the. Is it very pretty? Is there like natural beauty? I would say Dubai is pretty, like very pretty in its own way. Um, but obviously it isn't what it is mostly perceived to be rather than it just being Dubai. Because when you talk about the Middle East or when you talk about the Gulf, it's always Dubai. That's the first picture in your head. Um, but I would say it's not the, the whole country is or the same goes for any other GCC um, state is that they're mostly they're still a, it's still a desert. You know what I mean? It's still a desert. It's still like a whole ass des- desert that ha- that's almost has like an oasis in the middle of um, nowhere, which is kind of cool because you never you don't realize that you're just you're still living in the middle of a desert. Like if you go a few kilometers further from anywhere, you can end up in the desert. Like if I close my eyes and just went cycling um, or if I took my car and if everything was like a straight road, I would hit a desert within four kilometers like into nothingness which is kind of cool do you know what i mean yeah so, um so, it's quite interesting so dubai how, is pretty yeah if you're asking me the question it's interesting how they built the cities on sand yeah um but you know um cities on sand is like it's not a new thing like it's always been there um People figured, I guess, it a long time ago from places as old as the Middle East or Baghdad, or they were all thriving cities in the desert. So that's it's this is just a more modern form of looking at um, structures in the desert, I guess. Do you ever get like sandstorms? Does it ever do you ever get like very sandy weather coming to the city? Yeah, yeah, man. It's um, this. I think the sandstorms are like a seasonal thing. Not, I think that they are. The sandstorms are like a seasonal thing between a weather change or before it rains or a thing. So we do get it. Sometimes it's really bad where you're driving in the middle of nowhere and then suddenly there's nothing in front of you except sand and dust, and that happens here quite often. But in the cities, like deeper into the cities, it's not as bad as you would expect. It's not as bad as in when it, where it comes from. Um, but it's also like traditionally people look at it as change because they culturally they say that sandstorms are a sign of um, the desert renewing itself. So cleansing its air, um, cleansing diseases from the environment. Um, whatever it says so it's also there's also that aspect to it that a lot of people don't pay attention to and look at sandstorms as you know something horrific but it's just like rain it's just nature's way of cleansing itself i think Mm. um you've seen snow i take it i have for the first time in england out of all places (laughs) how was it Bro, it was good. It was, it's, it was like, yeah, it made sense to um, experience that. It was cool. I remember I was with, um, remember Michael, who you met with me um, yeah. at the party? Yeah. So it was me and Michael and Zuja, uh, one of his friends, who's a musician. Um, and it was the day I think I first experienced snow in September or somewhere around that. I don't remember. And we went to the park and it was filled with snow, the park that normally everybody goes to. And yeah, we made like a little snowman and it was, yeah, it was very wholesome, bro. It's like a whole different vibe to the place. Like it just changes. Like everybody was happier for some reason and everything just changed. The whole city was like whole of Brighton completely changed in like a minute. I was like, shit. People are like grumpy, even the grumpiest people that you find on the street. It's very odd to me that there's like millions of people who haven't seen snow before. Um, I remember there was a, a snowball fight in my secondary school 
my school was like uh, it wasn't very big but um behind like the some of the buildings the science buildings and um some of the other buildings was like the majority of like the the lunchtime area yeah um Although the, in the middle of that, there was like a big, it was called the AstroTurf. It was for um, like sp- playing sports, you know, like a- the Astro floor helps with like bouncing or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so to the side, there was this big um, like grassy area and it had been snowing a lot whilst we were in the lesson. And then we went outside for, we had a lunch break. It was like, 14 minutes and then we had a 15 minute break from like 10 I think it was like 10 20 to 10 40 um am and all the students went there and we were basically to we divided ourselves into like year groups and we were like throwing snowballs at each other and um uh yeah there must have been like hundreds or thousands of snowballs being thrown it was like really um bonkers nice i mean we have a little ski resort to make up for that that is that artificial snow yeah it's not it's not artificial snow it's real snow but it's artificially controlled or whatever still not still not real obviously but yeah that's something people do here if you come down to dubai that's one of the first things i would um take you for which is the dubai ski resort um yeah snow throughout the year but i've never been there funny story i've lived here all my life but i've never been there um so is it like when you go around the city is it a lot of like american stores like american shops not really not really american um, you mean like American owned? Yeah, and just like, American is there a like McDonald's and that's that type of thing? Yeah, sure. The Starbucks every corner, like everywhere in the world. Um, but you could say a lot of Dubai is Americanized in the way it presents itself, or or Britishized, if that's a word. Um, it's either one or the other. The British vibe falls in within. T- a whole different, I don't know, um, persona of people and Americanized is obviously just like any other city like around the world, like Hong Kong, whatever, to be more cooler way of putting things. But yeah, you could say one or the other. More Americanized, even education. Um, What's your um, favorite band? favorite band um i would say keika kikagaku moyo it's a japanese band i'll say that and i don't know bro i don't have like a single i can't think of like one single band that i'm a fanboy of because i'm not um but i'd say that pink floyd for sure um yeah pink floyd in, in terms of bands yeah pink floyd and what about yours have i have i sent you any music i like um you like jazz i remember yeah i like jazz i like men i trust okay it's like dream dream pop it's kind of like relaxing oh interesting is it like trip hop no okay not at all um Do you have a favorite band though? Favorite band? I like the Beatles. Um. Oh yeah, I watched a really cool film the other day. Um, it was a Danny Boyle film. Um, it's about a it's about a kid. It's about a brown kid who wakes up um, from an accident and he realizes. So he's an aspiring musician. 
right? And he realizes that he lives in a world without the Beatles. And uh, oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> that was that was quite interesting. I feel like it is such an interesting way of looking at things, um, like how could it could have gone, and how it couldn't. But it was about a world without the Beatles, and yeah, he started covering songs for all these bands, and people started paying attention to him. And he becomes basically a star from all these songs that died because <laughs> he's living in a different parallel dimension without the Beatles. Um, fun facts. There's a whole... I talked about this um, on the episode where I talked about World War II. Um, there's a whole type of history which is about working out what the world would be like if there were different events. Interesting. So, like, if World War Two didn't happen or if the Mongols didn't, like, invade loads yeah. of countries and then you, like, change that event to see how the world would be different. Like a possible scenario. Yeah. Nice. Um, was there anything interesting that could have changed if uh, the Mongols didn't do what they did? The Mongols is probably one of the biggest ones. Like Genghis Khan is probably one of the biggest ones apart from um, yeah. like the World Wars or Alexander the Great was another um, like big personality. But Genghis Khan invaded loads of countries and he invaded Russia um, before Russia was like very big mm-hmm. so obviously Russia today is like it's next to um, Poland and next to Turkey but it's also next to Japan Interesting. Because Russia is like so big. But if you go back 500 years ago, Russia was mainly just next to Europe. Yep. You wouldn't like, you wouldn't find any Russians um, in Siberia. And the Mongols. when they invaded Russia, they killed loads of people. Um, and that basically made the Russians quite suspicious and serious. Like, famously today, if you go to cities in Russia and smile at people, they'll think you're really weird. Wow. It's coming from all that ancestral trauma. Yeah, possibly. That's what people think. Um If they, so in Russia, it's like you only smile at people who are like your best friends and your family. Yeah. I mean, I've heard that about Sweden as well, but that's just like how Swedish people are apparently. Yeah, it's quite dark in Sweden. (laughs) They only have like, they only have like, go on. Smiling at each other is not a thing, but but it's also not rude to not smile. Oh. I think I've I've experienced that in Cambodia, which is interesting. Like I I'm like if you know me, like when I'm in my best state of mind, I'm always like a smiley smiley guy. And sometimes people think that you're being a people pleaser, but I'm just like no, I'm just smiling, man. It feels good to like be around you, or whatever. So when I went to Cambodia the first time, I remember being all smiley and going like, "Hey, this is such a wholesome place, or whatever," and people not being impressed and just like looking at me in a weird way, like thinking, "Why are you so happy?" Because we're going through shit. <laughs> I don't know. But at the same time, they're not rude. It's just like they have a straight face, people in Cambodia that I've observed, which is kind of, kind of, a, um, I don't know. It's, it's fresh to not want to, not want to like please each other, but it's also nice to smile always, I guess. Yeah, I get a little bit put off by, um, Apparently, like, this, I hear about the service in America. Like, when staff serve you, they can be really full-on and, like, 
when they try and sell stuff to you, they're super smiley and they get really close to you and stuff. Yeah, that's different in England. People are just up. They are very lovely, though. Like in, even in England, but I don't. I don't think it's forced. I've not been to America to experience it, but I can. I can. I can imagine what it would be or where that's coming from. Um, shall we wrap this up and then come back another time? We could come back another time since we're getting used to talking. I think. There's a lot of thoughts that we're throwing at each other. Um, yeah, we should do more. Good for a start. We should do more um, like recreational zooming. Yep. <laughs> Outside the podcast. Yeah, I'm down, bro. I mean, I'm uh, off the record. I'm, I'm pretty private these days, but I take care of myself. If you know what I mean? Uh, I think so. Meaning I'm medicated when I need to be. Thank you for coming on the podcast, Gio. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, man. You can edit it up.